On this episode of This Week in Linux, we have a lot of distro news from Linux Mint, Peppermint, MX Linux, Gparted, Lubuntu, and Bedrock Linux. If you haven't heard of Bedrock, you will certainly want to stick around for that. Then we'll check out some app news from VirtualBox, Handbrake, and some command line goodies like grep and sed. Later in the show, we'll cover some core news with Coreboot and everyone's favorite, SystemD. There's also some Linux gaming sales going on, and we'll check out a late, the latest Humble Bundle from uh, the, hack, the Hacking the Holidays book bundle. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by nothing, but the uh, Linuxmas coupon code is still in effect. So if you'd like 20% off the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt, you can totally get that by going to tuxdigital.com slash linuxiseverywhere. If you're not aware, the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt is the shirt I made to celebrate the proliferation There we go of Linux. The concept of the design has Tux blended into the background to convey the message. Even if you aren't aware that Linux is there, it probably is. The shirt is available for shipping from North America and from Europe. So if people in Europe, go to tuxdigital.com slash EU for shipping inside of Europe. Up first in the show is the latest release of VirtualBox, VirtualBox 6.0. And VirtualBox has a lot of improvements for this one. They've been working on five, the 5-point five series for a very long time. And this one has a lot of cool things, including a new user interface refinements that support high DPI, as well as em- enabling... VMS VGA graphics by default for Linux guests, which allows for uh, an emulation support of the VMware SVGA2 graphics adapter, which is to say that it's a lot smoother and performs better. Uh, they've also added a file manager for the host and guest file copies from back to back and forth, so it's a lot easier to manage that thing. Uh, they've also made some improvements for audio and video recording. So if you're like, you can actually screen capture in VirtualBox the like the guest that you're doing, but it's uh, it, it it used to be kind of like clunky. I haven't tested this particular version, but they're saying that it's been much more uh, better improvements and better overall performance for that, uh, as well as like overall in general audio improvements as well. So the one of the things that's really cool about it is that they mentioned that. It's now supporting OS2 shared folder support and macOS in a way. Like, there's some support for macOS as far as, like, installing it and things like that and having uh, guest editions for macOS. Now, there's not that much guest editions. I think it's just, like, a copy-paste thing. But either way, it's showing that they're actually making it possible to have a macOS virtual machine, which has, you know, historically been very difficult to set up. So that's pretty interesting. They've also made it really like high support for things like uh, Vagrant, which if you're not sure or aware what aware of what Vagrant is, it's an open source software product for building and maintaining portable virtual software development environments. So you can actually build a Vagrant uh, platform or environments through VirtualBox and have them deployed through that way. And this particular version has support, uh, full support for Vagrant uh, 2.2.1 and forward. So this is pretty cool, and uh, VirtualBox is not really the best for everyone because it's it does have some performance issues over, say, Vert Manager or QEMU or KVM, things like that. But 
VirtualBox is definitely the easiest one to get to like get started with. So if you've never done virtual machines or anything like that, I would say that VirtualBox is probably the best one to try out first. That way you can, you know, get to like to learn how all the different uh, basics of virtual machines work. And then also there's still advanced level tools in VirtualBox that you could uh, learn there, like host only networking, which is a very cool feature that um, we might talk about in a, a video separate about VirtualBox. But either way, it's still pretty cool. And if you haven't tried virtual machines, give this a shot because uh, this is a, a great way to get started. Uh, so the VirtualBox 6.0 release notes will be in the show notes. Up next in the show is the cross-platform, the popular cross-platform open-source video transcoder software, Handbrake, has released their latest version of Handbrake 1.2. And if you haven't you haven't heard of it, Handbrake is a very powerful uh, transcoder. So, well, basically what it allows you to do is take a video from one uh, format and fairly easily transition it or transcode it into another format without having to do any kind of re-rendering and stuff. I mean, it's still going to do rendering, but it's not going to do it it's not going to be a full re-renders or more of a transcode. So for example, you could have a 1080p transcode it down to 720p. And while if you were to take that and put it into a video editor, it would have to re-render everything and take a very long time. Handbrake by doing a transcoding method could do it in a much faster process. So what's really cool about this is that they've decided to switch from libav to ffmpeg for 1.2. And ffmpeg is a very powerful tool, which is actually one of the tools that I used for making this show. And um, it allows so much control that it's it's fantastic. And having it as a backbone of Handbrake is just going to make a Handbrake even better. So that's very cool. They've also decided to add some new presets so that you can now have uh, customization so you can automatically take a video and then make it optimized for the Amazon Fire. I don't know if, I'm not sure if they, they're talking about the Fire Stick, like TV, or the Fire, like the Kindle. But either way, I would assume the Fire Stick or the Fire TV uh, just because that's also associated to the the Chromecast as far as their like changelog notes. They've also fixed uh, some Blu-ray issues, added support for decoding TIFF files and LZMA video. They've also added some support for Speaks audio decoder. Decoder uh, Speaks is a very popular audio uh, decoder tool. Uh, basically, it's more like a codec essentially. Um, and it's a it's it's used heavily in software like Mumble or Opus Audio and things like that. It's a it's really cool for like talking rather than music, more of a an audio for talking and like podcasts like this. It's uh, speaks is very useful for that. Uh, they've also what's very interesting they've had uh, initial support for building against GTK four toolkit. So they're already working on having uh, Wayland support and GTK4 support and things like that. So that's pretty cool. And if you are interested or have any need for transcoding a video, Handbrake 1.2 is something you should definitely check out. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Up next in the show is some very, very useful command line tools that are, like, I use them all the time. They're very helpful. And if you haven't tried them out, uh, you should definitely check out the man page, which I'll have a link in the show notes for each one of them, because it is, they're both great. Uh, they're both great in their own, you know, usage. So, for example, grep allows you to easily find content inside of an, of like an already like a text file or any kind of document file. Not any kind of document file, but most, kind, most document files. And then you could like find specific 
strings inside of other like various different files and you can even do it loop in a bash script so you could quickly and easily maybe not easily but you could definitely quickly do it uh, so uh, grip is really cool and sed is really cool because it allows you to uh, use regular expressions to modify existing files and like add extra content to the end of a file or like if it finds a string it could then add some more content to that string all kinds of powerful stuff so if you if you are you know looking for something like that they're they're a fantastic options for that but grep at 3.3 was released and this the 3.3 was actually a bug fix to the 3.32 there was like a regression in 3.2 so they fixed that in 3.3 but 3.2 and 3.3 essentially have like the same benefits in the fact that they have improved the performance of many of the expressions, mostly like the or expressions and stuff like that for common prefixes, and these um, this performance improvement is like over thirty times performance improvement. So that's awesome. They've also had additional speed up of uh, like when searching for large files, they, they increase the initial buffer size, so it allows you depending on the kind of files and the how many files and things like that, uh, an improvement of three to twenty three percent of increased speed. So, fantastic. It also allows you to diagnose like Stack Overflow, which is um, something that they used to have, but they removed it. And um, I think it was like 2.6 they removed it. Yeah, I think it was 2.6 they removed it. Anyway, uh, they brought it back, and that's great. So uh, check out the link for grep in the show notes. But also said, now by default, it uses a fully buffered output rather than the line buffered output. This will pretty much like it'll improve performance noticeably. There hasn't been like benchmarking to test see how much it is, but it is noticeable when you do like a, a lot of heavy scripting with said. Uh, I actually have a to do system. I don't use it anymore, but because I didn't want to maintain it anymore. But essentially, I wrote a to do system that was based on the to do dot text concept and had scripts to like automatically modify things and it would use said to modify those files so it worked great i just didn't want to maintain it anymore so anyway and also found a really good option you know for a replacement so i'll I'll make a video about that one in the future Uh, but it's also really cool is that they uh, made it so that you can use the uh, tech i command to have different configurations that would allow the to use the fully buffered output but if you were to if you wanted the line buffered output for some reason you could use the tech u switch to go back to it so that's pretty cool and i'll have a link to both grep and said in the show notes up next in the show in the canonical corner or in other words the mirror yes it still does exist news mirror 1.1 was released and this one actually is very interesting for those who are not aware, Mirror was never like deprecated or anything. It was kind of like moved over to an IoT thing and then later converted it into a compositor for Wayland. Very cool thing is that Wayland does need a, like a full compositor and Mirror can provide that as a like a universal compositor for a lot of different DEs. And we already know at least two DEs that are considering it. I think Mate is like heavily considering it and I think also other uh, DEs like maybe LXQt or something else might be considering using uh, Mirror as the compositor for a Wayland, like a Wayland approach. So they don't have to reinvent everything. They could just use that as the compositor. So that's very cool. But one of the things that was like horrible with Wayland for a long time, 
and still kind of is because, well, it's NVIDIA, and NVIDIA doesn't typically like to do things, you know, in a timely fashion. So what's very interesting here is that Mirror 1.1 introduces support for the EGL streams and KMS, which is the NVIDIA binary driver. So it allows the compositor uh, or the mirror display server to work as a Wayland compositor on NVIDIA using this, uh, the means of EGL Streams KMS backend that makes it compatible with the NVIDIA Linux driver architecture. So it essentially means that if, if a DE uses mirror, they would be able to support NVIDIA on Wayland. So that is a fantastic bit, uh, piece of news because uh, it makes it much more, it makes mirror even more um, interesting for a potential compositor, like a universal compositor solution for Wayland. Um, there's also other uh, compositors, and for example, uh, GNOME and Plasma have their own implementation of Wayland support for compositing, so they probably wouldn't use the Mirror solution. But it's very cool that Mirror is being like converted into this so that other DEs could totally use it and make it like a lot less effort on their part to make support for Wayland. So that's very cool. If you'd like to learn more about this particular release, there's a ton of show no or like ton of change like changelog information that I'll link in the show notes. And there's I didn't cover everything that's a part of this release, but this is definitely the most interesting piece. So if you'd like to learn more, I'll have a link in the show notes. Up next in the show is the Hacking for the Holidays Humble Book Bundle from Humble Bundle, obviously. And this is an interesting thing. So if you're if you've been ever been interested in uh, penetration testing or hacking or anything like that, there's also a variety of different types of hacking that are included in this, like forensic imaging, uh, even the the car hacker's handbook, which is a pretty interesting idea. Then there's also some uh, stuff for like uh, securing modern web applications, uh, metasploit usage for penetration testing. Uh, tons of different things like Android security stuff, iOS application security. Uh, malware analysis, overall just like tons of things. That, even like an introduction to hacking in, in one of these cases, like the, the penetration testing, the hands-on introduction to hacking. That's the name of the book. So if you're interested in any kind of thing like this for security or penetration testing or anything like that, um, this would be a great option because there's, I think there's like 15 or so books that are included in this bundle. So it'd be a great option to try out if you are if you were, if you want to learn more about this, then I think that it would be a, a great opportunity to do it. Uh, this is from the Humble Bundle, and before I uh, move on, I do want to let you know that this, the link in the show notes, and in the description of the YouTube video, are uh, well, it's a link. the The link is a affiliate link that will give a small percentage of the order uh, as a commission to Tux Digital. So if you do decide that you want to try it out, I would appreciate you using that link because it would give uh, Tux Digital a little bit you know, a little bit of commission for it. So anyway, if you are interested, uh, this is very a very cool uh, idea for them to be making a bundle like this. So, I mean, I'm probably going to try it, uh, pick it up because a lot of these things I have a little bit of experience with, but not a ton. So it might be interesting, you know, to learn more about it. So I will have a link to this, the Hacking for the Holidays Humble Book Bundle in the show notes. Up next in the show is the first distro news topic, and that is Linux Mint 19.1. We talked about Linux Mint a couple episodes a couple episodes ago. I'm pretty sure in episode 46. Um, so this is a kind of a rehash of that. But this one, this version is no longer in beta. This is the full release of Linux Mint 19.1, uh, 
and this is a, a very there's a very cool stuff they're doing in this release. Um, if there's there, one of the things that they did is improve the Nemo file manager to be like the improve the performance about three times faster. They say due to code optimization, so that's nice. They've done a lot of updates to their various different X apps like X Reader and X uh, X Video. I think is what it's called. Like uh, just a bunch of those things, but I think the most most noticeable thing or notable thing about this release is the new theming system for the layout. So they have made a modern like a modern version of the design. So it's it just looks more clean. It looks it, it's it's a flat design. So if you don't like the flat design or the material design, it's not going to be you know what you want. But uh, they did offer the ability to go back to the old version if you do want to use that version. I think it's called like the uh, traditional layout, something like that, in the settings. So you can switch to that if you want to. Uh, but I think that this is a much needed improvement, and it does make Linux Mint look much cleaner and much nicer. So I give them uh, props for that. It is uh, a much, big, much, much needed improvement. So uh, well done there. Uh, there are some things that um, they've also improved, like the symbolic icons for various different things like Redshift and the Network Manager applet have been uh, improved in the sense of more reliable and uh, more accurate to uh, detecting this different software that it's, that people are trying to use to display the right icon, things like that. And they've also you know, updated Cinnamon to Cinnamon 4.0. Uh, I'm pretty, I think Cinnamon 4.0 was in maybe 19, maybe it's not. Maybe it was just in 9.10, or 19.1. I could be remembering, remembering wrong, but either way, it is in this version. So um, if you're interested in checking it out, Linux Mint 19.1 is going to have a link in the show notes. Also a link to episode 46 if you're interested in checking that one out too. Up next in the show is Gparted Live. 0.33.0-1 has been released, and Gparted, Gparted is a um, an application for partition management, but Gparted Live is a distribution based around the partition manager, allowing you to easily partition a drive without having to uh, do any, like, inst- like have a, a separate live USB for an existing distro, or uh, if your entire purpose is just to have a utility that allows you to do partition management, this is a great option for that. So this is a brand new version of th- 0.33.0. And it improves. It includes a bunch of updated packages and a variety of improvements. Uh, some things to note include uh, the supporting and copying and moving, uh, supporting of copying and moving of unsupported partition content. That's a weird way of saying that they a- allow the opportunity to actually like move around the content on a partition, even if the system's not really support that partition structure is not really supported. So it allows you to move the bits kind of thing. The It also adds the ability for Minix file system support, recognizing the, the Apple file system, or APFS. And it also now supports uh, moderniz- code, moderniz- code modernization of GTK2. So they, they modernize the GTK2 code of Gparted Life. So there's a lot of improvements, and they've uh, the, this particular version is based on Debian SID, and it uses the latest version as of, or the latest, if you're not aware, Debian SID is the unstable branch of Debian, meaning it's like the rolling release. Uh, they don't really do a rolling release, but SID is kind of like that. But it means that the uh, if you do a snapshot of SID, you kind of have to say when that happened. And in this case, it was December 14th, 2018. 
and they've also updated the kernel for 4.18.20. Uh, this has also been tested with uh, VirtualBox, VMware, uh, UEFI, BIOS. You can even do various different other computers like uh, uh, they've had testing with AMD, NVIDIA, Intel, and even like the old ATI cards and stuff like that, which have been many years. So if you have one of those, it's probably like six, seven years old at least, maybe uh, probably older, but maybe around that time. Uh, so anyway, this is going to be uh, a lot of a lot of cool things that are available to it. There are there are some issues to note. Uh, boot options that do not display on X desktop if you're using an old uh, Acer Aspire. Uh, there is a workaround for that. I'll have a link in the show notes for the workaround if you do have an Acer Aspire laptop. Uh, so I'm you know I'm going to put it in the episode because it's very specific. Uh, but I'll have a link in the show notes for that to uh, if, in case you do have it. So if you'd like to learn more about this latest release of Gparted Live, I'll have a link in the show notes. Up next in the show is Lubuntu has announced that for the 1904 and beyond that they are going to stop issuing 32-bit ISOs. Now, you would still be able to use 32-bit software once you have it installed on a 64-bit machine. Uh, for example, if you were to use Steam, uh, many games are still using 32-bit software, so it w- that's not gone. It's just the, the offering an ISO specifically for 32-bit hardware is what they are announcing that they are no longer going to support. Uh, the, the Ubuntu developers have announced that they're, uh, they've decided to, while they are going to get rid of 1904 uh, support for, for 32-bit, they are continuing to support the 1804 LTS version for 32-bit. So if you are still in need of a 32-bit, at least for the next five years, there will be an option to do that. And as far as people who are like saying that the software would be kind of like stale in that, would the... With the invention of snaps, flat packs, and app images, that's kind of not that big of a deal anymore. So I think that the the best time for them to actually sunset uh, 32-bit, as far as like the entire e community really, is around now or in the future. So I think that there's uh, plenty of software available in these universal formats that make it not such a big a big deal if they were to do it like you know five years ago. It would have been much bigger deal than it is now. So I think it's about time. It's that's a good timing for them to do it. Uh, and also, Zubuntu announced that they were going to just a couple weeks ago. They were they were going to stop offering the 32-bit ISOs as well. So that kind of leaves Lubuntu holding the entire stack of 32-bit ISOs management uh, by themselves. And they're not a huge team, so uh, that's kind of that's a lot of work for a fairly small team to be able to maintain such a big stack. Uh, so I understand why they decided to do it, uh, and also I know why people people don't want that to be tr- be the case. But I think it makes sense because, well, 32-bit is you really can't buy a 32-bit x86 machine anymore. You can still get old versions, but there's no brand new 32-bit x86 anymore. You can get 32-bit ARM, but that's still supported. It's the x86 architecture that's uh, not going to have support. Uh, from the blog post uh, on Lubuntu.me, they say, As an increasing number of Linux distributions have focused their attention on 64-bit x86 architecture and not on i386, we have found that it's harder to support than it once was, with i386 only machines becoming an artifact of the past. I'd agree with that. Uh, it has become increasingly clear that the Lubuntu team, that we need to evaluate its removal from the architectures we support. 
After careful consideration, we regret to inform our users that Lubuntu 19.04 and future versions will not see a release of the i386 architecture. They say, please do note that the Lubuntu 18.04 LTS will continue to have first-class citizen uh, classification uh, for the 32-bit until April of 2021. So you'd still be able to use it, like I said, for really old hardware. And I think it, if you are still using something that old, which is minimum 10 years, more than likely 15 or more, you're not really that interested in updates and upgrades and things. So I think that it's it's a fair decision for them to uh, sunset it now uh, because I mean, it needs to be done eventually anyway. So there's that. I know a lot of people are going to be, you know, disagreeing with me on that point, but there it is. Uh, so if you are uh, wanting to learn more about this particular uh, news and you want to check out the blog post on Lubuntu.me, I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Up next in the show is Peppermint 9 Respin has been released. If you're not aware, Peppermint 9 does a respin every six months or so, and they do a like a new a full release of different like a different core. So they they okay. Peppermint is based on the LTS version of Ubuntu. In this case, Peppermint 9 is based on 18.04 version of Ubuntu, and they make a mod a, a lot of modifications. They do this really interesting combination of XFCE and LXDE. Um, as like a like a hybrid approach, and they also have a lot of custom tools like the uh, SSBs or the single site browser uh, ICE system is very very cool. Uh, if you've never tried ICE before, it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, I've actually used it in I've tried to use it in other distros, and it doesn't really work outside of of Peppermint. But I have heard some people have got it to work. Uh, but if you haven't tried ICE. That is one of the claim to fames for Peppermint. You should definitely try it out if you haven't. Uh, also, Peppermint is like very um, reliable as far as like things working when you want where, where you set everything up to be and things like that. So, if you are looking for like a very stable distribution, Peppermint Nine is something that you should check out. Uh, so, Peppermint Nine Respin, they do a release every like six months or so for like uh, updates and different respins to like improve packages and update different like default settings and things like that so they're just in maintenance updates and things but the main core is every two years so this release they decided to do something that some people find maybe controversial and that is that they swapped out vlc for xplayer and xplayer is the x app from linux mint i'm pretty sure and they, they said the reason why they did it is because they've had reports that vlc has been getting a little flaky on some of the users over the last few releases and some people are, you know, diehard VLC fans. I am not one of those. Uh, I think VLC is the absolute 100% best video player for Android and Windows. But for some reason, when it comes to Linux, it's not. It's very, it's flaky. Like, it artifacts all the time, especially if you use VLC for streaming. Uh, it has this weird artifacting where it shows these, like, most of the time it's these green weird pixels sometimes it's like green and purple pixels it's not the best so i actually switched away from vlc to mpv like i don't know four or five years ago and i've had a much better experience with that and other people use sm player and things like that that uh, vlc is weird because it's like on other platforms it's known as being the absolute best option whereas on linux not so much i mean at least in my opinion 
Anyway, they also done some other interesting things to their uh, update system. They removed the level structure from the Mint update where they use the Linux Mint. Uh, they have their own levels. And they've fixed some uh, ICE application structure. There was this weird issue where uh, some of the things that are in the menu uh, are not, they weren't like in the exact same like familiar place where the whisker menu was putting things. They've actually addressed that to make it more seamless. Uh, they've also added some new utilities to the Peppermint settings panel, such as the accessibility settings, the ability to disable and enable NeoFetch, and they've also added a system information utility inside of the uh, these Peppermint settings panel. Uh, so going back a little bit, NeoFetch, you haven't heard of it, NeoFetch is pretty cool. It's uh, If you ever go to these website and look at these, um, you know, show your desktop type things, or like these wallpaper desktop where they just show you like, um, it's like the the whole layout, and then they'll have a terminal open and some de details about the hardware and with like a, a symbol of the distro. And that's typically done by NeoFetch. There's also some other ones, but NeoFetch, like ScreenFetch, but NeoFetch is a better option because it supports a lot more distros. It's updated more often, and it's really nice to see a distribution like concluded by default because I don't know of any other ones that do, so that's pretty cool. They've also done some other things like adding some extra packages like Build Essentials, making it easier to compile applications. They've also added support for mounting Lux encrypted volumes. So that's very nice because a lot of t if you want to encrypt your drive, you would need that support. So it's nice that they're adding that. Uh, they've also added something that's really cool in my opinion for the um, people who are like designers, and that is support for Wacom tablets and like touchscreen structures so very nice to see and they've also done like a lot of uh, minor bug fixes and things like that uh, as well as also like upgrading like packages from firefox the kernel and etc so overall this is a very nice update to a very nice distro so if you are interested you can check out the link in the show notes for peppermint 9 respin up next in the show is mx linux 18 has been released couple episodes ago on episode 46 of This Week in Linux, we talked about this as a beta version. So that was a very quick turnaround to release the latest version of MX18, MX Linux 18. Uh, so just as a, as a reminder, when I talk about the things that they have done uh, as far as like the improvements. Uh, so for example, they've updated the firmware. They've updated the kernel to 4.19.5. They've updated Mesa drivers to 18.2.6. These are all like very up to date. So, like, a lot of people look, like, if you look at it, some people might be confused by this, but MX Linux is based on Debian, but they also pull packages from uh, Debian testing and Debian SID, so you can get, they can get packages much quicker rather than uh, if you're based on Debian Stable, which is known for being fairly out of date a lot of the time. Uh, but they also have updates to Firefox, Clementine, Thunderbird, LibreOffice, and many, many more. One of the things that's really cool about MX Linux is all their MX apps like the MX installer they've done some really interesting things about now including support for Lux encrypted uh, partitions very similar to the the, the news about Peppermint um, another thing about it is that they've done a lot of improvements to support uh, the MX package installer supporting these various different universal package formats like flat packs they've also added some uh, faster performance improvements as well as a popular apps entry, which is kind of like a, you know, it's kind of like a featured section, but more of a trending section about what apps that might be interesting to people who have like just 
uh, are just browsing for new software. So that's pretty cool. Another thing they did was to add support for um, S3 texture packs, which is a is related to the Valve Steams and some games. Uh, so for like uh, Counter Strike, uh, there's some issues where if you didn't have this particular texture pack, it would not load correctly, and this solves that problem. So that's really cool. And in the uh, the beta, there was a known issue with the NVIDIA drivers. Say that the uh, it wouldn't build against the new kernel, so there was like this issue where if you were using NVIDIA, it might not work correctly. What I wanted to address there is that good news. MX Linux 18's official release has included the fix for that, so that's no longer a problem. Uh, so if you are interested in checking it out, MX Linux is a fantastic distribution. You should totally try if you are interested in you know something like that. Uh, it also supports 64-bit and 32-bit because it's Debian-based. It also can benefit from the uh, Debian structure of the maintaining the Debian 32-bit architectures um, of the x86 architecture. So they get the benefit of that as well as you know using the testing and the SID branches for various packaging. So uh, it's definitely a really cool thing that you should try out if you haven't already. And I'll have a link to this release net blog post in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the last distro news for this week. And that is Bedrock Linux has released 0.7 Pokey, or I think it's Pokey, Pokey, I'm not sure. Uh, they've released this version of Bedrock Linux, and I, there's, there's a lot of interesting things that have been happening, happening in Bedrock, but I think Bedrock itself is probably the most interesting part of it. Uh, the thing that they, do, they did for 0.7 is to make it more uh, polished experience, and they've, in, they've improved like the installation of it and some other things, just like an overall user experience. But the, the core fundamentals of Bedrock is really what makes it interesting. And that is because Bedrock is a meta Linux distribution. That's how they describe it. Uh, it allows users to utilize features from various different other distributions that are typically mutually exclusive to those distributions. It's really cool because you can mix match components from various different distros whenever you want to. So for example, you could have the bulk of the system from an old stable distribution such as Debian or CentOS. You could have, then also have access to cutting edge packages from Arch Linux. You could have access to the AUR. You could have the ability to automate compiling packages with Gentoo's portage and also have a library compatibility with Ubuntu and CentOS, uh, even including uh, desktop-oriented proprietary software through both of those, all at the same time all working together like it's just one large operating system. It's very interesting. Overall, I think that the concept itself is intriguing and might be worth a try if you've never, you know, tried like heard of it before or but to be fair, I do need to specify something. It isn't for everyone. They even specifically say that while it certainly isn't perfect and it most definitely is not for everyone. They do think that it'd be something that people might be worth trying because it is a very interesting and really unique, cool concept for distribution. I think, like I've tried it before, and it works very well. It is very complicated to set up, or it used to be. Like I haven't tried the latest version because they're talking about it making it easier to install and easy to set up, and well, easier to install. Uh, it used to be because it, it uses like a, a Cheroot system to make sure that all these things work together uh, in this way that they, if they have the installer like more streamlined, that it could be a fantastic op option to try. 
So I think Bedrock Linux is a very cool idea. And if you are interested in learning more, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Up next in the show is the first core news uh, segment, and that is Core Boot 4.9 has been released. 4.9 has had over 2,600 changes since their last or previous release, which was just about six months ago or so, a little bit over that. Uh, they've done a lot of cleanup for the code to make an improved uh, support for various different motherboard ports and things like that. They've also added some documentation improvements as far as make, making it hosted with inside their own repository. Uh, they've also set up better integration with the build system to utilize the Intel FSP binaries, which is really interesting because I'm curious what's going to happen with Core Boot when Intel, I mean, it'd be an improvement anyway, it wouldn't be negative or anything, but I'm just curious how well this would be helpful to them based on the the information we found out a couple of weeks ago. I don't remember exactly when it was, it might have been last week, but Intel announced that they're, well, they didn't really announce, someone from Intel hinted at there's a likelihood that they'll open source the FSP binaries so that would be interesting. They've, but the, the Core Boot 4.9 has also announced that they have deprecated around 71 boards or so uh, from other boards that are you know no longer being supported or maintained, so there was no reason to keep them in the source tree. However, they have added 56 new motherboards, including a number of old ASRock uh, G41 motherboards, various ASUS boards, uh, two dozen Chromebooks, uh, various different types of Chromebooks, uh, as well as Intel reference platforms and a variety of things from like Lenovo and Siemens and stuff like that. Uh, so if you would like to learn more about this particular release of Core Boot 4.9, you can find a link in the show notes. Up next in the show is the last piece of core news that we're going to cover this week, and that is System D 240 has been released. And I know this is a favorite of everyone. Everybody loves System D. So we're going to talk about a couple things that they have done, which is some of these are really cool. Uh, the first thing that they've done is they've added a new service type called tech type equal exec or executable. And it's very similar to the type equal simple, but ensures the service manager will wait for both the fork and the uh, execute VE, so the EXECVE service to run uh, for the main service binary to complete before proceeding with the follow-up units. Uh, I can go into like more details in a future video for like a separate system D thing, kind of like a overview of like how it works if people are interested. So if you are interested, leave a comment below on the uh, in the live chat if you like to, or in the uh, published episode in the comment section. I'd be interested to see how many people would be you know wanting that kind of video to be done. But another thing that they did, which is probably the most coolest thing that I want to talk about. So the thing is really cool is that there's this new. Uh, security analyze structure and that is called system d uh, tac analyze then security is how you run it and the way it works is that it's um it's an it's allowed for analyzing the security and sandboxing settings of services in order to determine an exposure level for them indicating whether a service would benefit from more sandboxing options turned on or not for it so it's a really cool idea because it allows you to uh, essentially, scan the security of a of a process as it as it executes to see whether it needs to have extra sandboxing or not. That is an interesting idea, and I think it's really cool that they added it for this release. So, if you're interested in learning more, uh, I'll have a link to the System D 240 release notes in the show notes below. 
But if you'd also like a video talking about how SystemD works and things like that, please uh, leave a comment below in the comment section or let me know right now in the live chat if you'd like to. So again, the link for the 240 release will be in the show notes. Up next in the show is Purism's Librem 5 developer kits are now shipping. And this is great because there was a, an, a worry that some people were having that they might not get the developer kits out before the end of the year. They actually were planning originally to get them out on, in June, but unfortunately that didn't work. Or it might have been July, I don't know, but it was sometime during the summer that they were intending to get it out. But that didn't happen. But they are now sending out the boards or the developer kits uh, for the i.mx8m I based hardware. They were originally developing it on the IMX6M, but the IMX8M is a much more powerful uh, chip, so it would be a better option for that. So that's why they wait a little bit. It does sound like the developer kit is kind of you know, rough around the edges type of thing because in the uh, blog post that they, that they posted on their website, there's still a lot of work required to make the dev kit truly functional for the Libre Vive development. So we will need your assistance the frenetic pace of development continues, and it's astonishing how much we've accomplished in the two months since we put the hardware together. But the path is still long and arduous. To be more clear about how uh, specific, like what the things that are not working, what they need assistance on, is the hardware isn't really fully validated. There's still a good chunk of software that needs to be written, and the dev kit can't yet place any phone calls, for example. So there is... Still a lot of work to be done. However, the Purism team still seems to be confident about being able to ship the Librem 5 on the planned April 2019 ship time. They originally were planning for January 2019, but that was pushed back in April. But they still think that they will be able to make the April date. Um, there's a lot of people who don't uh, expect that to happen and expecting more of like the end of 2019. But uh, hopefully they're able to solve the problems and get it out when they plan to in April. So because that'd be really cool. Um, one of the things that is kind of uh, unfortunate is that Purism has announced that the Librem 5 phone price has been increased from $599 to $699 for the pre-orders. Um, I, I think they've actually said that they're going to do it, change that price in the beginning of 2019. So it might still be $599 now. So if someone you know, really wants to get the phone and wants to save $100 and they're, they're already planning on getting the phone uh, instead of waiting then they might as well try it now because they could save $100 because I, I think it's still available at $599 that they're going to change it in 2019, but don't quote me on that. So if you are interested, you can find more about the the, the blog post on the Librem, the, the Purism website for the Librem 5, and uh, you can find all the specifications for it as well there too. So I have a link in the show notes. Up next in the show is the Winter Cells. Uh, Steam specifically, and also itch.io. First off, the Steam Winter Cell is having a lot of games, or cool games that are on sale right now, like uh, Border, Borderlands, Rocket League, Battletech, Prison Architect, Surviving Mars, uh, many, many more. Uh, well, I mean, to be fair, uh, Rocket League is kind, of, is kind of my addiction right now as far as gaming goes. I still I play uh, not a ton of games, but I play a significant amount of Rocket League. I'm a very big fan of that game, so uh, that's it's a good it's a really good time to buy it because it's fifty percent off, so it's only ten dollars. Well, nine ninety nine, but you know ten dollars. So if you are interested in trying out the game, it is definitely worth it. I think you will get. 
I think you would you you, you might need to like try it out really uh, for like an hour or two see if you like it. Uh, if you don't, you know, you can get a refund after if you don't play it for more than two hours. Um, but I think the game is great. Uh, I've played it for so many hours. I don't want to tell you right now. But anyway, there's also itch.io, which has a lot of cool indie games like uh, localhost or library or you know various different things. Uh, I haven't actually had a chance to play most of these games, but they do look kind of interesting because uh, a lot of like the fact that itch itch.io uses I'm not sure if it's itch.io or itch.io. I don't know. Either way. Uh, they have a lot of cool indie games, and they're having a winter sale at the same time as Steam. So if you're interested in that, have a, I'll have a link in the show notes for that. Uh, both of the links are going to have Tux Digital uh, links attached to them, but they're not affiliate links, like you know most of the time. But the reason why I have them is because when you go to both of these sites, it's kind of hard to set up the platform. You know, I only want Linux games. I only want games on sale, etc. So I created quick links on the Tux Digital website. You can go to tuxdigital.com slash games on sale. And there's a bunch of different platforms and uh, stores that have links directly to Linux games that are on discount. And so if you go to uh, tuxdigital.com slash steam sale or tuxdigital.com slash itch.io sale, that'll go directly to their sale section with the Linux platform already selected. So just as just a quicker way to get to it. Uh, so anyway, I'll have a link to those in the show notes. And finally, this week, Microsoft has announced Project, I think it's Mu, and this is an open source UEFI implementation. The it's really interesting because this has potential to be game changing in the terms of like the hardware Microsoft makes, not necessarily in a lot of different like hardware vendors because they put their own system in like secure boot and UEFI that's like there is a standard for UEFI but a lot of companies don't ad- adhere to it this won't address those but what it will address is something that could potentially could be pretty interesting because the um, the project moo is supports is like what powers the Hyper-V platform as well as the Microsoft Surface hardware so if like the Surface Pro is a pretty cool laptop and they have like these uh it's a really interesting uh idea for like a tablet laptop thing. There's a lot of people who like the Surface hardware. So if they open source the UEFI implementation of the Surface hardware, that could be pretty game changing for uh, allowing it to run Linux on the Surface hardware. A lot of people have gotten that to work, but it's a little clunky, so this uh, this might change that. Uh, Project Moo is Microsoft's attempt at uh, firmware as a service sort of thing, but they're doing it as an open source uh, implementation. They really explain why they're doing it that way, but it's still an interesting uh, approach that they are doing it, and potentially could be really cool. Uh, they've also said that they think the reason the reason why they're doing it is that they think that the Tiana Core UEFI reference implementation is not optimized for rapid servicing across multiple product lines. It's because they want to use the same thing over a variety of different project products. So they think that they're making their own version and then making that open source would be beneficial to themselves. Essentially, they forked another project and are making their own. And that they might actually have to do it depending on what the Tiana Core um, license is. I'm not really sure what that is. So maybe they're only doing it because they have to. Who knows? It is Microsoft, so I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. Anyway... If you're interested in learning more about this particular uh, new bit of news, I have a link to the Project Mew blog post from Microsoft in the show notes.
Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on the show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. Or you can order the Linux Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash linuxiseverywhere. And also be sure to remember the 20% coupon for uh, Linuxmas to save on the order. We also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, Private Internet Access, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com slash affiliates. If you'd like to submit some good news to the show, then visit the subreddit by going to thisweekinlinux.reddit.com. If you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux, as I'm a co-host of that show. And especially since the latest episode is episode 100, so you don't want to miss that. And just a reminder, the show is live every Saturday, so join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each week. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital, and as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.